Podcast One. Listen, Abel is back. Thanks very much for subscribing. Thanks for listening. Yeah, we love having you here. We've got an incredible guest coming up, a guy that I know very, very, very well, one of my best mates. Uh, you know, I've got lots of, a couple of best mates, and they're both going to be in the studio. Pretty cool. That's yours, well, Angus. Um, but we're actually going to touch on something after we talk to our guest about a superstar pop star who's been in a bit of trouble for some ableism. Yeah, Sia made headlines for having a movie about autism without... Someone in it with autism. Yeah. So we're going to actually hear from Sia herself on the topic. So don't go anywhere and we'll discuss our own thoughts afterwards. But also, uh, as this goes to air, we're approaching the Australian Open, Dylan Alcock. Yeah, Aussie Open, very excited. Uh, We recorded this one about a week before, so there's a couple of nervous guys in here with you, aren't there, Angus? That's right. There's uh, We are pre-Australian Open. It's happening right now as you hear the big headlines around quarantining Novak Djokovic. But we are doing this episode as a release now, obviously not only because it's topical, but because uh, you are not uh, my favourite wheelchair tennis player. You know, uh, that's David Wagner. David Wagner, America's great. Uh, David, if you would like to come on the podcast, it's an open invitation. Uh, please take us up. If you're not sure who David Wagner is, he's my. we've played each other 50 times probably in the last five years, and Angus is a big Wagner fan. Big Wagner fan. Yeah, I'm not. Huge Wagner fan. Yeah, yeah. You're actually not my second favourite wheelchair tennis player either. You're my third. Andy Lapham. <laughs> That's another guy I play against. Well, today's guest is my second favourite wheelchair tennis player. Let's let him introduce himself. G'day, I'm Heath Davidson. Apparently, I am Dylan Orcott's doubles partner. Apparently. Well, I think we are. Uh, Heater, mate, uh, as you mentioned, we are doubles partners, but uh, you are a, a tennis player. Uh, you are now, but you had a pretty incredible life. Tell the people listening a bit about yourself. What do you do? Uh, I'm a professional tennis player. Uh, would like to say that I'm a professional gamer, but not that good. Yeah, spend most of my time playing tennis, hanging out with Dylan, and just, yeah, getting through life and enjoying it. I'd, yeah, I work for uh, Dylan's company, Get Skilled Access, so it's always good as an associate, which getting out there and talking to people and helping people recognise and understand disabilities a bit more, it's always good and it's something that I'm really passionate about. Well, he thought I'd know why you were in a wheelchair. Well, I definitely don't have a cool story. So okay. Hang on. This is a cool story. I was born, I guess, an abled person. Um, and five months after being born, I contracted a virus called transverse myelitis, which, which affects the myelin sheets in your uh, nervous system. And that left me a complete quadriplegic. And after a few weeks, I gradually got movement back in my hands. Um, and my arms and then my upper limbs. Believe it or not, I was the youngest person in Australia to get transverse myelitis and I was in hospital for around 12 months because they didn't know what I had. A doctor from overseas came over to do, an exchange student actually came over to... She wasn't even a doctor, she's an exchange student. Yeah, an exchange student came over and managed to figure out what I got and... Wow. You'd be, you'd, be you'd be dead otherwise. Pretty much me, so... Oh, really? If it wasn't for this person, you would have gone undiagnosed and probably... I definitely wouldn't have been where I am today, so... Wow. Very help, like, very fortunate. What was his or her name? Uh, I couldn't tell you. Really? Honestly, couldn't tell you. I'd have to ask my mum, but she probably can't remember any either, but yeah. What long... an impact she's had on your life without, you know, knowing... Definitely, anything. definitely. It was, um, it was really tough for my parents and stuff like that. Obviously, I was babysitting. 
didn't really bother me. Um, yeah. I think when when you're older, when you get transverse myelitis, you know, no, like if we have a, a guy we play tennis with, Gordon Reed, he, yeah, he had um, the same Dana thing. Matthews yeah, but they they're older when they got it. So if you're walking around as a ten year old, and all of a sudden your legs go wonky, you're like, what's going on with me? Yeah. But because you were nonverbal, you're a kid, you couldn't tell your parents about what was going on. Is that why it affected so much of your body? Well, I just, my body didn't have time to develop. Apparently I was just lying on the couch next to dad um, and I started crying and I wouldn't stop crying. He reckons I cried for about 16 hours before they took me to the hospital because I just wouldn't stop. Once they took me to the hospital, that's pretty much where I stayed 12 to 17 months and um, speaking to other people that have had the virus later on in life. Um, I'm sort of really fortunate that I wasn't older because the excruciating pain that they went through, they said they mm. felt like their body was on fire and all mm. that stuff. And Isn't it weird me, though, you were going through that pain, but you just are lucky enough not to remember it. Yeah, I can't remember I always much. think about that with kids. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're lucky, you know, you didn't really know what was going on. But at the time you did. At the, yeah. As a kid, you know, obviously we don't remember that, but you were in excruciating pain. Apparently. I, uh, I know what your dad's going through as well because I hear you cry on the tennis court for 16 hours at a time. Oh, okay. oh, is that after you beat me every time we play, you jerk? Or <laughs> what's okay. the go here? Uh, happy that one. Um, so you said that you were quadriplegic and uh, then you started to get feeling within your hands. Yeah, so when I first got sick um, and I was in hospital, I couldn't move anything by my head. Yeah. Um, and then gradually over time, I got movement back in my like upper limbs and... Right. Yeah, it's I didn't of, know that you could come back from being quadriplegic, but I guess, was it affecting your spinal cord? It's the nervous system in, so it's the myelin sheath in your nervous system. Right. I so don't know what just the, any like, of that is. It's been eaten away and obviously over time it somewhat healed a little bit, but just never fully recovered to. Ah, so some of the nerves might've been cut away fully forever, but some of them might've been damaged and parts of your nervous system can reform. Because you got diagnosed. Well, yeah, I don't think they've been cut away, but yeah, they've or some have been severely damaged and others have managed to come back. I mean, mm. viruses are topical at the moment. There is this thing, I don't know if anyone's heard mm. about it, called the coronavirus. How does a five-month-old get a virus? An airborne one too that just out well, of nowhere. And how does it not affect your parents who are with you 24-7? I have no idea. It's crazy. crazy. Do so. they give you some kind of vibe about how? Well, no, but I mean, obviously my parents have both got theories and stuff like that, which are... 5G towers? Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> nah, so I had a vaccination, um, a vaccination six days. Oh, six, we're going down the anti-vaccine oh, train six, now. Oh, six days before I got sick. You're going to be in the news and, here. Wait, um, on, tell it honestly. So six days before. Six days before I got sick, I sick. I had the polio vaccination and <laughs> yeah, it uh, all went pear-shaped that after that. So that you will, you know, are you a bit of an anti-vaxxer because of it? Uh, nah, not really, mate. Okay. I've it's, always wondered why your, your name is Heath Davidson Evans. And it's because Peter Evans, your dad. <laughs> but, um, That's the worst joke. That is absolutely shocking. That's terrible. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> shocking. So, he's so happy with his own but, gear. Um, yeah. You never know with viruses, though. Like we had Mike Rolls on. Yeah, and Mike, you know, Mike just, as he describes it, took a breath in at the wrong time and ended up with meningococcal, which obviously affected his life to a yeah, point crazy. that he's, you know, lost, the, lost limbs. So you, it, you can just be in the wrong place at the wrong time with this stuff. But it's just amazing to see the damaging effects from both of your stories of what they could be. Not just tough for you with your disability growing up, but you're not the only person in your family with a disability, are you? No, I'm not. I actually have an older brother who is um, intellectually disabled. So uh, he is autistic, has ADD, and yeah, has brain damage. So 
Now, was that due to lack of oxygen during that birth? Was, yeah, he was a breech baby and yeah. his umbilical cord was strangling and when he came out, wasn't breathing for three minutes and when they brought him back, uh, the damage was done. So mm. parents had a full-on full on life with our younger years. Yeah, how old is your brother? Uh, he's three years older than me. Yes. And there's a scope of intellectual disabilities. Trenner's probably on the higher end of it. Yeah, so he's probably got the, I guess, mental capacity is maybe a six-year-old, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, I mean, he's great value, Dylan. He used to come down and hit down when we used to train in Moorabbin. It's shocking, but it was good fun. He loves loves uh, watching the birds, watching trains. Just he's always happy. So, yeah, he lives a great life. And um, I guess sometimes I look at him and I'm like, God, I wish I could be that happy all the time. He's but legendary. Obviously, <laughs> he, does, he does get a bit carried away. He actually came and watched... Um, Myself played Dylan last year at the Australian Open and like midpoint started just, ca- saying, come on, Heath, come on. And I'm like, Trent, like, Trent not now, not now. <laughs> very good. Like midpoint. If that was David Wade, we'd been pissed, but I was like, Trent, oh, you can do what you want, brother. Oh, it's it's good, good fun. So, I mean, disability's been around your parents then. I mean, they've, they, that's all they've known as parents. Yeah. Did they have much education or learning before that? Other family members with disabilities or nah, just thrown in the deep end? Thrown in the deep end and learnt learnt just as they went along and um I mean I think I turned out reasonably okay. Yeah, you seem um, like a good bloke. Dylan may disagree. No, I'm but a big fan. Do you think it was tough on them having two disabled kids under three? Oh hells yeah man. Like as you know, because mm. we've known each other so long, like uh full marriage breakup, um a pretty nasty one too and like being told to pick sides and it was really hard because I was playing tennis and um, dad took me to all my tennis stuff. So I went with dad and then I didn't have a relationship with my mum for two years because of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it got pretty nasty. And obviously I remind my mum a lot of my dad. So there's always that. And, um, there's a bit of alcoholism in my family and, um, my mum had a heart attack when I was in grade six and I had to drive her car to the doctor's. At the age of yeah, so I sat 13, on a, I sat four. on her knee and did the gears and st- steered to the doctors when I was in grade six. Oh my six. god, because you can't use the pedal. Yeah, so we had my brother in the back seat as well. Um, so yeah, we got to the doctors and she got rushed out the back and we were just sitting there and next thing you know, an ambulance rocks up and we just had to wait. And uh, dad came and picked us up and next thing we know, mum's had a heart attack. And Heath, that's one of the craziest stories I've ever heard in my entire life. You had to yeah. drive your mum's car the first time you've ever been behind a wheel. Yeah, I was legit like 13, 14. And then, yeah, oh. she was in hospital and, yeah, it's pretty much mum, mum's life changed after that. She was really um, straighty 180 and thought life's too short. You had a bit of a tough upbringing, you know, family-wise and obviously having Trina and it was a lot of pressure on you as a youngster. Do you wish you had a bit more of a normal childhood or you? Nah, man. I mean, I am who I am today because of my past, so... There may be some things I'd change over the course of my journey, but my journey is my journey and nobody can take that away from me. And it's my story. And I feel like 33 years on, I'm in a pretty good spot. I'm happy with it. Um, I've got some cool stories to tell along the way. I'm looking so. forward to hearing them all. As, as a kid though, you do. was there a sense of guilt that you might have felt that you were, and your brother, uh, responsible for that breakup and the, and the messiness around and maybe the alcohol abuse within the family kind of as a dealing mechanism? 
Oh, definitely, definitely feel like. Which obviously you it wasn't. You can't blame yeah. yourself now. Yeah, I mean, looking look back, looking back now, I can sort of see. Then yeah, I did sort of put a little bit of blame on myself, and obviously took a lot of the um, blame and responsibility for my brother as well because he doesn't know any difference. Yeah. And yeah, I was a shit of a kid, man. Like I'd stir my brother up all the time, and it just it would have been real tough on my parents, but they're great people. I love them to death, and. If I've ever made their life harder than it needs to be, I'm sorry. And uh, it's now live in a podcast that I've said it. So. <laughs> well, it's very I, honest, man. I think there's going to be a lot of people who respect the uh, the honesty of that conversation. But, you know, th- like you said, we're here to learn more yeah. about you and your story. And that's that, that's that's the foundation of and it. And we're honest. And oh, me, Heath and I and you, Angus, we're not deterring any parent listening right now to have to be scared to have a kid with disability, you know what I mean? But we're going to be honest about some of the trials and tribulations because that's what this podcast is about, is to to educate and things like that. We'll, we'll get to your, the middle part of your life, as we call it, Ada, in a minute. But before that, you were a very good junior tennis player, weren't you? So can you tell us a bit about getting into sport for the first time and what that did for you? Um, I was 14 when I started playing tennis. It wasn't even supposed to be anything really Moving forward, it was just to get fit and try and lose some weight. And um, my dad actually got in contact with a local local guy because I grew up about 20 minutes from Dylan um, in Mentone. He was obviously in um, Hampton or Brighton yeah. or wherever it was. And, um, yeah, got onto a local tennis coach named Marco and um, he said, come down, never, had never hit with anybody in a wheelchair or coached anyone with a disability. And he was just like, let's do it. So I started going down there and then me and Dylan had, been in contact and Dylan started coming down and it was cool for us, wasn't it, man? Well, we didn't really I'd, know anyone else. I'd, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't had any other disabled friends, so it was really cool and we could share stories and sort of go through some stuff together. And why tennis? Because I can't kick a footy. footy so yeah. yeah, and he is shh at basketball. Yeah, I'm shocking. <laughs> so bad. Oh, really? No one's born yeah. in a wheelchair. Everyone goes, do you want to try a wheelchair sport? Try basketball. Because it's like dodging cars. Mm. I'm shocking. Yeah, he's not shocking. very good at it. <laughs> like, and Dylan's smile right now is brilliant because he knows how <laughs> bad I am. actually shocking. <laughs> um, how many times as a junior did I beat you in tennis? Zero. Do you know that? Oh. Not once. So from 14 to 18, Dylan had never beaten me. Yeah. And now do you want me to start the other? No, no. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> um, but I, as a junior, Heath was like my tennising idol. Never beat him once. We used to wear matching clothes when we played doubles as well. Mate, your pretty... dad buying us that matching yeah, outfit. Yeah, we, we wore it everywhere we went. Like we best. were best mates as we are now, which is really cool. And it meant a lot to us, I think, because, you know, we traveled around Australia. We even went to New Zealand and things. Like we went overseas and met other people with disabilities. Like, Mate, like, Funk Master J from America. Correct, the yeah. Day yeah like yeah. all these people that – it would just open up a new world to us, didn't it? Yeah, definitely, man. It was really cool. And up until like that time of my life, I sort of never thought that me being in a wheelchair would – escalate into anything i didn't think we could have i guess normal normal lives and have careers and stuff like that so that was really cool that's a really good turning point so do you remember exactly the moment that was and i should have mentioned you said funk master j as well yeah well that's what he called himself funk <laughs> yeah, master but, j from no America. but the way you, you say, say it, it sounds like you're saying something else <laughs> ah sorry my bad. so do you remember is there a particular moment that you went holy crap this is there is a life in a chair for me um i wouldn't say it was when i started playing tennis i mean Playing tennis and stuff, I was still really young, like 14, I think. Yeah. Um, for me, I didn't really think about what was actually happening in my life per se. Like, I was going to school like everybody else. I was doing everything. Like, me and Dylan were hanging out. I had mates at school. And yeah, nothing remarkable happened in my life till I was 18. Yeah. And then I think the turning point was 
maybe not a turning point, but I got really down when I was about 16, 17. It was asking all the questions like, why me? Why this? Why that? And um, yeah, I think once I sort of wrapped my head around, these were the cards I was dealt and just sort of started looking at life in a more positive way and realizing that the sun's going to come up tomorrow, the same as it came up today. And if I'm just sitting there being depressed or upset or not wanting to do anything, I'm going to waste a week, two weeks, a month, a year doing that. And it's like, yeah, the sun's going to be shining every day. So wake up with a smile on your face and get on with it. And I think I did. I love that. And you channeled all your energy into tennis and that at that time for a, a little bit. Yeah, definitely. As a youngster, I channeled yeah. a lot of my um, time into tennis. And then a lot of people don't know this, but we didn't see each other for eight years. It was a while. From when I was 16 until when I came back and played tennis when I was about 24. So what happened? Talk, talk us to what happened there. I decided that tennis wasn't for me. Um, I didn't know whether I was ever going to come back to it or anything like that. I just, obviously with my home life being the way it was. And um, and I've got to straight, it was tough. You were living by yourself since you were like 16. 14, yeah. 14, 14 I would go around to myself. your oh, factory okay. where you were. It was yeah. hard. And I wrote this in my book and I asked yeah. you for permission. Yeah. How much it broke me seeing some of the troubles within your personal life, family-wise, like we'd be at tennis and things would happen and that. And it was, I was like, pretty brutal. can that kid, yeah. can, can I was like to my parents, can he come live with us? Like I, I feel so bad. And and then you got a factory and it was great because we could just hang out there and stuff. You loved it. He lived so in a my factory. dad, my dad um, used to own a pine furniture business in Moorabbin. Um, and when I moved out with him, we lived there and then he got a new partner and his new partner didn't really want to have much to do with me and Trent. So... I pretty much was told that I had to stay at the factory. So from 14 to 18, I was living in a warehouse by myself. Yeah. You're 14, yeah. you're a child in a wheelchair with a disability and you're – is Trent's not with you? Though, is no, it? no, is no you Trent with stayed with mum. So. Right. But, yeah, I mean, I made friends with the people that owned the cafe up the road and That'd they used to bring you. me food every day and stuff like that. Dad <laughs> used to rock up, take me to school. I mean, it, as Dylan said, it was a lot of fun. Obviously, having a warehouse to yourself when you're yeah. a yeah. youngster, you could have fun. So, But also, like, that was, you know, I personally lost you in my life and tennis lost you. Like, what, what happened there? I just went down the wrong path, I guess. I mean, after everything that had happened leading up to that point, I sort of just turned to booze uh, like my mum and dad had in the past. Obviously, it's in my family. And, yeah, one thing led to another. So... Alcohol turned into drugs. Drugs took over a big part of my life. So this was more 17 onwards. Yeah. And then, yeah, I guess I pretty much hadn't seen Dylan in eight years. I relied heavily on substance abuse. Wasn't really going anywhere in my life. Um, Ended up moving back in with mum. And, yeah, honestly, not much happened. Like, I never had a job. um, Was living... Paycheck, like disability pension week to week, um, blowing it all and just living a pretty sad and lonely, lonely life. And I mean, at that time I had a lot of friends well, who I thought were friends and, um, yeah, the company I kept wasn't great, wasn't great. And I guess, yeah, just a lot of the guys that I used to hang around with, uh, either in jail or mm. people passed away. Um, do you think that could have been you? 
hundred percent, mate. I've OD'd twice. So it um yeah, one of my best mates saved my life. He um gave me CPR until the ambos rocked up and stuff like that. I've I've done some very, very silly things, but um I've come through the other side, I think. So definitely. So what was the change of lifestyle to get yourself back? Was it was it the court? Was it moving back in with mum? Nah, so I just, honestly, man, I just woke up one morning and just said I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. And I stopped. That was what, uh, start of 2014, wasn't it? Yeah. Just yeah. stopped. Like, bang, done. What do you, what do you, what's your advice, brother? Because there's people that be listening to this, they have disabilities, right? That are doing the same thing. They hate themselves. They're like, why me? Whatever. You say you just woke up one morning and it kind of ended. But like, what, what, what do you say to the people that are probably going through the same kind of demons that you were? It's not a sustainable lifestyle. And... You're going to let yourself down. You're going to let your parents down. You're going to let your friends down because there's only one way out of it if you don't stop. And mm. that's death or jail or two ways, I guess. Mm. And there's no way to live. I was sick of hurting people. I was hurting the people that loved me the most and were around me, like that cared for me. And at that point in my life, I didn't care. I just wanted my next fix. I woke up one morning and just realized that it had to stop. And I made that decision and I did. How long did it take you to get back to the court and find a purpose? Yeah, I guess it took a while. And then it's one of those things, like as you started to repair relationships and stuff, mm. I met I met a, I met a girl and yeah, we got back in contact. And her name we were, is Darcy. Her name is Darcy. We were watching um, Wimbledon one year and um, Nick Curios beat Rafa, I think. It was oh. in the third round. And one of the great games yeah. of tennis. And um, she... Shout out to Kiggs. Big fan of the podcast. Yeah. She knew that I used to play tennis because I was actually in her brother's class at school. Okay. She really encouraged me to get back into it. Um, and I rang Marco, so the guy that used to coach Dylan and myself, and just sort of said, hey, because he was like a big brother to me. He used to babysit me and stuff when we were younger. He's a good man, Marco. Really Beautiful good bloke. Um, I rang him and he's like, well, this is a blast from the past. I honestly didn't think I'd ever hear from you again. Started going down and seeing him, hitting for an hour once a week. And um, once a week turned into twice a week. And then I really started to find the love for the sport again. And yeah, I don't know. Tennis Australia somehow got wind of the fact well, there that was, I was, was there another coincidence or correlation between another really Jesus. good looking, talented tennis player who made a comeback about a year before? Was, was that, that any influence by any chance? Mate, I didn't know what you were doing, bro. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no idea. No one like, can pump their tyres more than Dylan Alcott. It's outrageous. And he always, this is a technique of Dylan. He does this thing where he asks a question where he knows he's the answer. A hundred percent. All the time, bro. All the time. All the time. Bloody hell. As if you are, if, I was if trying you to... knew a famous, well-known <laughs> paraplegic, do you know anyone like Oh, me. But um, I was trying to avoid that, but no, nah, he, uh, he did let Tennis Australia know that I was hitting again or he obviously reached out over social media and stuff um, and said, good to see you back hitting and stuff like that. And then, yeah, went down and had a sort of training session with um, our coach now, Francois, and started hitting down there and then got offered a scholarship. And I think it was what, 18 months to 24 months later. Two we, years. Yeah. Two years. We well, um, 
I guess, wheeled away with a shiny thing at yeah. the Paralympics. So. We'll, we'll touch on that in a minute. How'd you go on the comeback? How were you hitting them when you first came back? Absolutely shocking. <laughs> I'm going, oh, is that a big eight years? <laughs> it was a fair eight years, <laughs> mate. Because people say, you know, there's a saying like riding a bike. No, it wasn't like riding nah, a bike. Wasn't I'm riding telling a bike. You, the first <laughs> six months I was almost riding him off and then I reckon six months in he's like, you started to get it, didn't you? And it came back. Yeah, about six months in I guess it all just started to click. Like I started to live more of a professional sportsman lifestyle and did a lot of the right things off the court mm. and started listening and obviously didn't want to listen to Dylan because <laughs> back when we were juniors, I was better. <laughs> and uh, now he's way better. Well, not way better, but he's definitely got the upper hand over me at the moment. But um, yeah, it's just not sort always. of one of those things. Good, like, not always. But yeah, it's just like obviously because of the – the past couple of years, I didn't want to hear what people had to say and stuff like that. And like, I figured I could do it all myself. And then once I sort of started to listen and realized that these guys were just trying to help me get better, then things started to work. You were, as a baby, diagnosed at one point as a quadriplegic. What is your current diagnosis of your disability? So I am a incomplete paraplegic. So I have feeling in some parts of my lower limbs. Um, but I also lose feeling in some parts of my upper body as well. So like I can't move my wrists, restricted movement in my shoulders, can't feel anything from about a T4. The so nipples down? Just Yeah, just under my nipples. Yeah. So you guys can play together because So we're in the same are... classification. So there's right. in tennis, there's two. There's the open division, which is for people with one or two limbs affected, lower, lower limbs, mm -hmm. amputees, incomplete paraplegics, hip problems, ankle problems, whatever. Uh, and we're in a classification called the quad classification, which has three or more limbs affected. So Heath has a problem with his arms, as he said. And um, I had an accident where I was holding a glass and someone tipped me out of my chair and I severed my ulnar nerve, tendon and artery. I actually cut half my hand off. So only a portion of my hand works. So that wasn't from my birth disability, but that's why I'm in that classification. It just means if we played some of the guys in the open class who walk around every day, there was a, a funny story actually. We were juniors. We played a guy called Michael. We used to play a guy called Michael Esler. If Michael Esler's listening to this, hit us up on Instagram, Michael Esler. Mate, he's, haven't heard from he's a baker, I heard. Yeah. But he had such a minor disability. He used to walk with his wheelchair just, on his shoulder. Yeah, he used to carry his chair on As a point it. on court. <laughs> as the best. <laughs> just to be like, hey, boys, how are you? It'd be on his shoulder. And then he'd get in his chair and just kick our ass. So, hey, crazy. so what was his disability, do you remember? Yeah, he had a little thing with his problem with his hip called Perthies. Yeah. I think, which gets better over time. So we used to be like, we want to beat this guy, but the dude's like walking around. Anyway, Esla, hope you're doing well. But that's how it can work with classifications, and that's why you guys can be in the same category yeah. together. Yeah, yeah, so we get to play together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so let's talk about big tournaments. You well, change your lifestyle, you know, you, you take it serious, you start listening. I've done a couple of tours, well, a couple of tournaments. I went to South Africa. Yep. That was our first one together. That was absolutely speaking of, brutal. Speaking of David Wagner. Uh, My favourite tennis player. Oh, he, got, he got out of the – Johannesburg is gnarly. I've read it's gnarly, but you're like, I'll be right. You just drive through red sands. Uh, he, David Wagner and his and his partner Brian Barton pulled out their iPads in the lounge, like when you uh, got your baggage. Yeah. And they got followed at this tennis tournament by – Five guys with machine guns yeah. and got held up on the way to the tournament and they stole everything but their So they were followed in a car and as they were pulling into the gated community, they got held up Five and they guys had with machine guns, everything but their wheelchair. Yeah. What? Everything. Yeah. Tennis, the way to rackets, tennis rackets. Tennis rackets. South African phones. Open? 
I haven't been back there since. Yeah. They, they came and got us all like, hey, guys, so just letting you know, yeah. there's uh, been a stand-up at the front with five guys yeah. with machine guns. And David Wagner's okay, but he's got everything. No, and he got his wheelchair left. And we were like, what? Me and Tim were like, yeah. And that's your first experience? That was my first was ever international tennis Wow. And I was like, hey, I'm glad Heath's here because he could actually protect me because, uh, you know, he's lived a life. <laughs> <laughs> he's seen the streets. Yeah. Okay, so that's your first experience. Um you just cross that one off the list. You know, you punch the passport to South Africa. Oh, it was all good. There. We went on safari. It ended up yeah, being it was all good. right. We so. did, we, and then you made your way through the top ranked players. You were in about top 30, top 20 in the world. Got to play your first Australian Open in 2016. Now, yeah. we grew up going to the Oz Open together. Yeah. What was that feeling for you like to, to play there for the first time? Pretty cool. Very nervous. Like, obviously, I wasn't at that point in my career, I wasn't. At the top, top level. As good as you are now. Yeah. So, yeah, playing that was unreal. Like, it was really cool, obviously, being in front of a home crowd and having people there to support you and stuff like that. Granted, I played that first Australian Open with two broken ribs. Oh, yeah. Because I broke my ribs in the tournament before in Sydney. Oh. Um, Falling out of the chair. Yeah, hit the fence. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, pushing belt. for a ball in, in the fence. And then I've just fallen and cracked two ribs on the side of my wheelchair. Okay. Played me first round with broken ribs. It was tough. It was tough. It was tough. tough. Yeah. Um, so Dylan took it easy on you, no yeah. doubt. 100%. I've never heard so many come on babies in my whole yeah, life. Just, I'm, I'm sitting oh, up the on. other end going, you're my best mate. What are oh, you doing, bro? i tell you what is cool though. Like, and you know, we've talked about your parents and that, but I remember Phil was there. I think Jane might have been there. I'm not sure. But the emotion in your, and they're, I mean, look how great you've turned out, all right? Like, yeah. you're a beautiful man, and we've got to give them credit for, you know, some of the things that went on, because you're a great, great person, yeah. and so is Trina. It was cool seeing their face as well, man. Like, 100%. Like, I was going to ask your family was there. Your family, the, watching them, like, one, they look like they're going to vomit, because <laughs> like, I've never seen people more nervous in my life <laughs> watching them. Maybe my dad, actually. Well, I mean, it, yeah, dad, my dad did a complete 180. Like, my dad was the worst sports parent ever. I could come down and... Just yell abuse when I was playing and just be constantly the, on me. The dockage about it. Yeah, minus very, the, minus very the, dockage. Minus the uh, physical harm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, even I think Dylan commented um, after our match saying, like, that was really weird. Your dad was really supportive and stuff like that. And um, yeah, it's really cool that, like, there's been a massive shift in stuff and they are really supportive. But, yeah, it was just – it was really scary going out there and playing – um, obviously I wish I was in better Nick at the time, but gave it my best shot. Playing doubles with Dylan that year was pretty funny because he just told me to sit in the left tram track and do not move. Don't move. I'll if the ball comes the to you. Right, yeah, legit. If the ball comes to you, hit it. If not, let me hit it. I'm like, right, eh? It worked, it worked. But actually we didn't win any major tournaments up until uh, we won a couple of tournaments, but like not against the best ones. players. Not the big no. ones. Yeah. Yeah. And then we got to the Paralympic Games, which was in 2020. Now, you're at the Paralympics two years after you come back. It's pretty impressive, mate. Like you made a – I thought you had no chance. And then the last, I would say, 10 months before that – Is this when, Rio? Rio in 2016. So from about December 2015, if you were asked me, would you be going to Paralympics? I'm like, it's going to be tough. He's not going that well. And then you made a massive leap in that time, didn't you? I did. And I was awarded a wild card for the Paralympics, which was really cool, but – Within three hours of being awarded the wild card, it was taken away because I hadn't met the criteria to go to the Paralympics because I hadn't been playing tennis for long enough. Oh. So, all these pre, like you got to do a certain amount of international team tournaments. Yeah. And, and stuff like that. Blah, 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 yeah, blah. Yeah. And I had. Which you still have to do this day. I know you yeah. get off to some weird. And I'm like, oh. Like Malaysia last yeah. year. Yeah. Oh, we had to go to Malaysia during the week before. Like, the, the yeah. world stopped. Yeah. The COVID. And I'm like, I don't want to go. Like, you have to go if you want to play the Paralympics. Yeah. And I was like, there's a. 
pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was really weird. Like I got the email. I don't know whether they were supposed to send it to me to say that I got the wild card and I'm like, holy crap, I'm going to the Paralympics. How what, good? What's going on here? And then three hours later, I got an email saying, oh, sorry. Um, yeah, you don't meet the criteria. So therefore you're not going to be able to go. And then it just so happened that they ended up formally inviting me. So it wasn't a wild card. Gotcha. I got because you didn't reach meet the criteria for yeah. wild card, but they could. There was another. So process yeah, to get I got a in. formal invite to go, and believe it or not, like one of the things that I get asked the most was, "How good was it winning a gold medal? Was that the highlight of your Paralympics?" And my answer is, it was cool, but it wasn't the highlight. I had two other highlights. Was it the free makers? Definitely three Maccas. That's number one. He came to uh, <laughs> Mate, it was pizza he, and McDonald's for me it. for two weeks. should have seen him. He was losing it. And Paralympics was the first time I beat a guy inside the top 10 in the singles. Uh, Brian Barton, I managed to get over in my first round of the singles, which was really cool. Did it in three sets. Um, so that's probably, they're probably obviously the three Maccas and that <laughs> is probably my highlight. Obviously not taking anything away with, uh, from a gold. winning a gold medal. But it wasn't until I got home that I realized what I'd accomplished or whatever. Like Dylan had obviously done it before in the basketball and stuff, so he sort of knew. And for me, it was just sort of like a massive whirlwind and a roller coaster, man. I wasn't supposed to be there. And we just so happened to beat a team that had never been beaten in a Paralympics before. So, Well, we weren't going to beat them at one point. We were down 6-1, 5-1, So if you know tennis... I think you actually said to me... Oh, well, I'm like, well, like I mean, this yeah, is embarrassing. Like, where's the closest pub? Like um, we were live on uh, Channel 7 as well the first time. like, And because of the time difference, it was like 9 a.m. and We got pushed, remember? And pushed on to like yeah. during sunrise. So everyone was watching. Oh, no. And Crazy. we were playing so bad. What was going through your head when you were playing tennis at the Paralympics in particular in that moment? Honestly, at that point in time, I'm just like, God, why? How, how did we get all the way here? And then I've decided to play some of the most garbage tennis <laughs> that I've ever played in my life. I wasn't going much better. Don't worry about it. We that. were both pretty average. And then... Dylan actually said to me, let's just play tennis. We weren't having fun. Like, mm -hmm. And that's what I think why we're such good doubles partners because we're best mates. We have fun out there. We joke. We banter. And we weren't doing any of that. And then it sort of just, we ended up winning that game. I think we won the next, what did we win the second set? I think we won the second set six. We won that guess. Well, it was actually six, one, four, one. We won six, four. And yep. I was about to absolutely piss my pants. I took a toilet break, <laughs> lost all our momentum, down four love in the deciding set. Mm. And then we ended up winning that seven, five well, in the third set. It was four all. And I hadn't made a serve all oh, yeah, that's game. Right. Four all, third set. Yeah. And I said this, I was like, mate, <laughs> I got complete confidence in you. Four first serves here. And then I turned around, I thought, four double faults coming up. It's going to be tough. <laughs> mate, I it did. was... I was like, Legit. the pressure yeah. at four all, I was like, he's going to serve the worst game I've ever seen. I served two aces. Two aces, two big serves. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. Turned it on when and it counted. Then, yeah, I mean, we managed to get through that one and then match point was still unbelievable. The final shot that Dylan hit, as the ball was coming over the net, Dylan looked back at me and said, we've just won a gold medal mm. and then hit a winner. Dylan's, he is Dylan the is biggest looking at me flog. with the smuggest. Look at me shaking his head. I said we've head. done it. Uh, yeah. Oh. We've done it. it. Oh, as so you haven't hit the ball no. yet? No. It was like the, I could have hit over with my – I could have kicked the Right. Ball. So it was yeah. like a volley was just like, in front of you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, we've done it. Like shock. Yeah. I was talking to myself as well. Yeah. And then I went bang. 
And then we turned Angus, around. that is a lie. He looked directly <laughs> yeah. at me. And he's like, well, he's like a little shit yeah. Gavin. Actually, I was like this. I was like, I was going to say, do you want it? And I looked and he's 50 metres away <laughs> on the fence, like shaking in nerves. <laughs> so. And then you were saying before about what happened afterwards. Yeah. So uh, apparently today I jumped on Instagram and the ITF at. Uh, International Tennis Federation. Yeah. They posted a post about the most famous hugs in tennis and. Uh, Dylan and myself made the top five. Hey. We almost tipped each other out of our chairs. It was, it was yeah. Good. I don't think I've ever wanted to pass a bloke so much in my whole <laughs> life. So yeah, it was pretty good. And the, the the times in Rio afterwards was very good as well. We had a great time. And I mean, can you believe all this has happened for you, considering where you were about nah. eight to eight years ago? No way, man. Like as I said, like back in those times, I thought I was going to be. I, honestly, I look back now and I'm like, how are you alive? Sort of thing. Like, mm. and I sort of just sit here and think I don't deserve it a lot of the time. Like somebody that hasn't done all the stuff that I've done that has committed themselves at a lot younger age and done all the right things deserves it more than me. I mean, it's something that I battle with and I struggle every once in a while with being down in the dumps and stuff like that. But it's, yeah, it's one of those so It's interesting because you had your troubled times with, you know, substance abuse and you probably got a kid who's an incomplete paraplegic playing tennis and he never stopped playing during those eight years that you yeah. didn't, and you've now succeeded past him, you feel some sort of guilt. I'm not saying that's an individual person. I don't know if that person exists, no, but in you, definitely, definitely there's a feel, guilt there. Definitely feel guilty because I guess I feel like I wasted a lot of years, and mm. um, I feel like other people may deserve accomplishments that I've got, and in a little way I feel like I've taken that away from somebody else. So I mean, it's wrong, but it's interesting. Yeah, yeah it's just, yeah. it's one of those things. It's the way. <laughs> it's wrong. <laughs> I mean, it, it is. You're wrong, but that's yeah. No, but that's in, insecurities that people have. You know? Yeah. Well, so. You know, had you stayed on the right path of playing tennis, you might have played for another three years and then got a job at Maccas and Correct. all of a sudden yeah. become a manager at McDonald's Mate, and not know what tennis exists. If it means I get free Maccas, I, was gonna I say, might leave tennis. There's some perks in there for you. I do, I do definitely love a cheeky and cheesy. It's not often that three accredited you know, accomplished sports people get in the same room as well. What's this? You're a premiership player for your Adelaide football team, That's aren't very you? Very funny. Uh, I actually was. Yeah. I was a uh, premiership uh, AFL player for the Calandra Panthers Ooh, uh, what a few in, years back. What happened in Adelaide? Uh, Adelaide, I was dropped for the grand final after playing <laughs> you the whole year. You dropped for the I was an emergency. Played the whole year. brutal. Yeah. And he's absolutely rough. Yeah. Kim Cobb, once again, if you're listening, oh, never forget. Because <laughs> Dylan, Dylan won't let me forget. Um, I've got a bowl of uncomfortable questions. Hit it. Have you listened to our podcast before? We hope, Peter. I've listened to a few. Okay, good. The bowl of uncomfortable is where somebody sends a question in. This person would like to remain anonymous, though I don't think their question is too scathing. Do you ever wonder what your career would look like had Dylan not picked up a racket? Oh, what a great question. I didn't write that, by the way. You're the second best behind uh, Dylan at the moment. Yo, I mean, in, in Australia, Australia, yeah. I in Australia, sorry, yes. Currently ranked sixth in the world, so there's a few in front of me, but... You'd be number one if it wasn't for Dylan. I'd be number one in Australia if it wasn't for Dylan. But if I'm honest, like if Dylan hadn't put in that word with Tennis Australia, I don't know if they ever would have given me the call. So That's interesting. I do owe him a lot. Um, because even at I the would, start of this podcast, you wouldn't have realized, but it's something I picked up on. You said, I'm Dylan's tennis double. I do it all the time. I've been. You, you put Dylan first I always before do. you talked Dylan, about yourself. Dylan's doubles partner. Yeah. yeah. That's how you introduce um, yourself. It's like not Dylan's my tennis. You said, I'm Dylan's. Therefore, know. putting yourself subconsciously like, behind like him. If I could myself, be, mm. if I could be eliminated from the past of tennis, would you do it, or do you think the journey with me has been? What would you pick? That's basically what the question said. 
I don't think it would have been anywhere near as fun. I've really enjoyed the journey that I've had with Dylan alongside me. Um, so you keep Dylan or sacrifice Dylan? Mm, I mean, he's beat me up over the last couple of years, <laughs> so probably get rid of him. Yeah, to be honest with you. Like, you're number one, baby. Stuff him. <laughs> Take it. Sacrifice. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> and my other question is, just quickly to both of you before you go, um, the Olympics, there were some rumours around the day of recording today that it might be cancelled. Some pretty strong sources coming out that Tokyo doesn't look like they're going to feel comfortable running with it this year. How does that make you both feel? I mean, it's 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 tough because that's what like, you work towards. It's four years. That's obvious, the, it's the big one, right? Yeah, and Dylan will be in the same sort of boat that I'm in. Like, it's a four year cycle, and we make choices to play tennis and put things on hold in our like outside of tennis life, which um can cause a lot of like issues outside of like in your personal life and stuff like that. And yeah, for it not to happen is pretty pretty brutal. But I'm going to try and go around again. So yeah, so you got another year past this. There one you go. Here. There's the answer to the question. We'll find out in four years after Dylan's gone. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, Dylan, potentially this could be your last year of tennis. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but you know, you wanted to end no, on a year that 100%. had the full tennis circuit, and it doesn't look like that's a reality. I mean, yeah, we can control what we can control. So you can't get too much into it. But I mean, I'll be 100% gutted if you take money out of sport. What's the most prestigious thing in the world? the Olympics and Paralympic Games. And that's why it means so much to Paralympic athletes because it's the two weeks that we are the main event. Mm. You know what I mean? We are the show. So uh, I'd be shattered. But uh, also my love goes to the people of Tokyo. Like yeah, I crazy. thought about it, if it was in Melbourne, right? Would Melbourne be letting in 30,000 people from all around the world? It's been hard enough for 1,200 nah. people. So yeah. I'm not getting involved. The weeds of it is brutal. So it's really tough both ways for sure. It's a good point. As we are recording this, um, we're about to start the Australian Open and there is a national outrage at yeah, the tennis players people. being led in the country. Imagine yeah. 30G. Exactly. Minimum. Yeah. You know? And yeah, that's not even nice. allowing people uh, in for spectating. It's, it's, it's a big number. So, you know. We'll just keep training our backsides off and hopefully get the opportunity to represent it. You know, you, our families, our country, because it means so much to us. And uh, we should point out, once again, the Australian Open hasn't yet started. Obviously, we're in that moment. The players are quarantining, so Surely not Alcott, Davidson, first round. Surely not. Touch what it doesn't happen. Because this year, for the first time, it's knockout for us, not round robin, because there's an increased draw size. So, I mean, now I've probably put the the jinx on us, but that can't. There is a 13% chance we could play each other first. We always play each other first round. Give Come me, on, give the tennis me your gods. favourite player first, Angus. Yeah. David Wagner, wags. baby. Well, It'll be just, a quick exit for you. you wait, just saying. I've <laughs> won. Yeah, It'll be a quick exit for you. You're going to come dress an American flag. I love it. I've won multiple doubles titles with David Wagner. I actually really like the bloke as much as he's Dylan's rivalry. I don't mind Wagner. He's me. He's the man. Cut all his hair off, though. I love you, Gus. Heath, what a story. Thanks for sharing it, man. We really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And if people want to get in touch with you, Heath, you do a bit of public speaking. I know there's you. You have the three goals of 2021, singles gold, doubles gold, and getting verified on Instagram. That is 100% true. So throw, it out, throw it out to Instagram. the world right now. What's the Insta- throw, um, it, throw it out there. My Instagram is Heath Davidson one I think it is, or 13. Bro, get what it, get it How do you not know? What are you talking Mate, about? That's why you're not Mate, verified. You have no interest in the page. It's 13, bro. Uh, 13. You're not Instagram, big fans of the podcast. Yep, yep. Uh, if you're listening, verify. Please verify. He's almost got 5,000 followers. Come on. I've almost got 5,000 followers. And also, ladies, if you're in a 20 kilometer distance, swipe right. Get it right. He's not on a dating website, never been on one. Excuse me, ladies listening, just don't do it around the Australian Open. I need him in good nick for doubles, please. 
big thank you to Heath and uh, good luck. I hope he gets the singles win at the Australian Open. <laughs> My second favourite hey, tennis player if succeeding. If I wasn't going to do it, I wanted to be Heath. <laughs> uh, we did say at the top of the podcast that we'll, we would be referencing um, Sia and her talks around ableism with her new movie, which is out, which is called, what's it called? Music. Music, that's right. It's about right. a young autistic girl called Music uh, who obviously loves music to help her communicate, um, but uh, she didn't actually choose an actor with autism. She chose the young lady, who is very talented, who she always uses. Um, Maddie Ziegler. Maddie Ziegler. And uh, there, you know, there was some comments that CM made saying they would have been cruel to have someone who is autistic in the role and every autistic actor in the world pretty much tweeted saying, excuse me, yeah. like I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm passionate about it because I like CM, I like her music, I love what she's done, but her response of telling, uh, she said, effity, F, 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 you go watch the movie before you judge me. Like really didn't want to listen to what the people with disability had to say. Well, here's the thing. Uh, there's a new podcast. It's on podcast one. We're going to have the link in our notes. It's called wild. It's hosted by Sarah Wilson. You might know her as the lady who cut out sugar from her diet. So this podcast, uh, she speaks to see herself about it. And we're going to play it for you now. Of course, you can check out the full interview once again in our notes, but for the first time, let's listen to what she had to say from her own mouth and not on Twitter. I should never have, I've got a rule and that is I don't tweet after midnight, but I just, I was so like, what? I was so stunned by the um, criticism because that nobody had any information. <laughs> yeah. So they didn't know that I actually had cast 13 euro atypical people and, um, you know, I, any, I couldn't say anything right actually. Yeah. They also didn't know. But I had actually tried to work with um, a neuroatypical actor to play uh, music and her mum had said this is too stressful for her. And my fault definitely is didn't occur to me to try and find someone who was still autistic but perhaps higher functioning so that it wouldn't have been as stressful Um I, I wasn't thinking laterally. I also love working with Maddie. I had originally planned to work with Maddie, then I had, after taking under much consideration a lot of suggestions from other filmmakers that I should try and use a neuroatypical actor, I I tried that and then when her mum said, no, this is too stressful for her, I I took that and went back to Maddie. Yeah. You know, I think I am am ableist. I didn't realise I was. I had no idea. There is Sia speaking on Sarah Wilson's new podcast called Wild to Sia about the movie music. How do you feel, Dil? Well, it was nice that she recognised that she was had a bit of ableism by picking someone without disability. And also that she shouldn't have tweeted. It's a lesson. Just because one person with a disability can't do something, you can't paint everyone with the same brush, and that's what Sia's done, and she just said that. One thing that is disappointing for the disabled community is who's making the money out of the music movie, Sia? And Do we know the, if the money's going and towards the anything? No, no. So it's it's like a it's in the in the studio. It's like it's not a charity movie. Able-bodied people profit off people with disability stories. At least if you're going to have a disability story, the actors have to be disabled, so they profit off the disability story as well. Mm. So there is a big backlash that she just paid Maddie to do the role when it could have been anybody else. One thing that I felt uncomfortable with as well is I read that Maddie watched videos of people having an autism meltdown online to learn how to do it. Mm. Watching her act autistic gives me, I feel bad for Maddie. And Maddie actually said to herself, she said, I saw this, she said, she didn't want to do the role. So I can't do that. I feel, and she decided to do it because 
she felt safe. So I feel bad for her that she would, she's been getting a lot of hate online. Mm. She's young. She just did the job, you know, um, watching her do that still makes me uncomfortable. What do you say to when people say people have got to act? If the roles were reversed and we got able-bodied roles, we wouldn't give a shit then. But another point, we don't get those roles. So well, then, I can't get you to play Usain Bolt or you know what I mean. No, but like I could, I could just play a character, yeah, not a disabled character, yeah. But you don't get character roles. It's always based around some form of your disability. So that's why that's not my thoughts, by the way. No, I'm no, just no. saying I'm playing the devil's advocate on it, this one. That, you're a jerk. No, no, I'm here, <laughs> and that's why we that's why we have these discussions. But a lot of people online were saying, Great "Well, point. acting's acting. Great She's point. acting autistic." And we would be, know? as I said, we would be fine if there was other opportunities. But that's the only one, and. I think the profitability off the disabled stories when people with disabilities aren't involved. And what the worst part well, is- there's 12 people, she said, that were not yeah, you know, atypical. I'd love to know what roles they're in. Like, that's great to hear, actually. And everyone can make a mistake. And I, the first four weeks of her media around it was a bit too, oh, I didn't know, whatever, Maddie's got the gig. That was the most mm. I've heard in her tone where she realized that she made a mistake. And that's great. I hope she believes it, to be yeah. honest, and, and he's better f- for the next run. Um, but I think also- I tell you who knows lived experience the best, people with lived experience. Mm. So at least in the consulting of the movie and things like that, from the top to the bottom, there has to be disability voices throughout it because if anybody with half knowledge about disability was involved, they'd be like, I'm going to say, this is a bit yucky. Yeah, it feels a bit this, weird, this smells a little bit, guys. We should do something. And then she'd be like, oh, I never thought about that. Mm. But obviously after the fact is, is where she fell into a bit of problem. So lesson for all of us in business, in life, get people with disability involved at the start and then these problems won't happen. Uh, if you want to hear the full episode with Sia on Sarah yeah. Wilson's new podcast, it's in our notes. Yeah, and shout out to Sia. She's a, uh, I love the fact that she's an individual and what she's done in her music career has been broke down a lot of barriers and things like that. So we're not here to see her bashing for sure, but I think it was a good conversation starter. And I was not looking forward to that grab because I was really disappointed the way that she responded. Still upset with what happened, but that's the best I've heard uh, in terms of apology from her. We do have another episode of Listenable in the works, and this one is our most requested person ever. Is a part of her story. So I was way, I was yelling out to him. I was like, are we good? Like, when's, mm. when are you pulling the parachute? And he wasn't answering at all. And I was like, okay, maybe it's just like the wind and I can't hear him. Um, and then I, I've seen videos of it where you obviously like sway to the side and you slowly glide down. Mm. And I was like, hey, we're still going straight down. And then the moment when I did realize was when I saw our parachute in front of us tangled up in a ball not at all above us and not at all open, not even looking like it could open, literally just tangled up in a ball. And I was like, okay, something's definitely wrong. Um, My instructor pulled our parachute too late and at the time that he did pull it happened to be the exact same time that the emergency chute was coming out automatically. And so because it was the same time, they got all tangled together and as they were coming out and tangling, the cords actually wrapped around the instructor's neck and strangled him. So he was unconscious for the entire fall, which explains why he wasn't answering me, explains why he couldn't untangle them or why he couldn't cut one shoot off or whatever they would normally do in that situation. But because I didn't realise he was unconscious, I, I was in the beginning kind of waiting for him to, to, to do something. But then when we got to the closer, I was like, nah, this, this is it. Yeah, definitely on Instagram, this has been a blow up. We finally got a... We finally got this person. Make sure you do not miss any of our episodes. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you write a little review, it really helps us with the algorithm because we want to get Listenable in the ears of as many people as we can. At Listenable Podcast on the socials. Until then. 
Listen Able was presented by Dylan Alcott and Angus O'Loughlin and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Audio production by Darcy Thompson and the music was written and performed by Eliza Hull. Listener.